Hello and welcome back to another episode of Binge List and Box Office Hits, the podcast about all things film, TV and streaming, with your host, Shannon Holiday, and me, Letitia Thomas. All right, and welcome back. Yes, that is our little intro we've just added into our episode. So that is, um, thank you to George for adding that in, and welcome back to another episode of Bingeless and Box Office Hits. I am joined by Letitia Thomas. How are you doing today, Tish? I am sick, so that's why it sounds dodgy today. Yes, we want to put a little kind of announcement on there. We're both not feeling too crash hot. You might have COVID, so we are doing this remotely. So you're at your house, I'm back at mine with the recording equipment, so I might sound fine, but you're on FaceTime at the moment. So we're going to see how this goes. Bear with us because it might sound a little bit different to other episodes, but we're doing our best. Yeah, we're just trying not to get more sick so that we can keep doing these, basically. Yeah, I mean, it was going to come up at some point. I think our schedules have been really good lately. I'm surprised that we haven't had an episode we've had to do remotely. So this is the first one we are doing remotely, and we'll see how it goes. So, so Tish... Um, what have you been watching so far this week? I watched the Ted Lasso finale. I think I liked it. A lot of people didn't like it. I probably need to rewatch it again, but I'm just trying to pretend that it's not over okay. right now. So, did you Ted Lasso? Did you think it went the way it was going to go? Yeah, yeah, because there's a lot of like allusions to um, like old school musicals. Cause yeah, the okay. whole writing team are like big fans, so there was a lot of references to like. The Wizard of Oz and like Mary Poppins and like going back home. I don't. I yeah. Basically, yes. Yeah, back to beginnings. it went how I wanted it. Okay. Yeah. Well, without I'll, spoiling it, it's all out now. I can binge it. I can absolutely watch the seasons two and three in a row. I'm looking forward to that. That's what I was waiting for, just to get through it and watch it in one go. Uh, what else? I, think I did Platonic. I watched the fourth episode. Um, that's the Roseburn, yeah. and yeah. um, I did. I don't know what the plot is still. <laughs> I don't. They're just hanging out. It's not the best. It's not the worst show. Just kind of is. You just can't see a purpose in it yet. No. no what's the I point of making really, this show? I don't know what the overall storyline is apart from them being friends again. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I wonder how many episodes it is. It could have a drive later on. Mm. We'll, we'll, we'll just see. We'll see about that. I think we both watched a bit of what <laughs> your next thing is, but that has to do with the main topic. So we'll get into that a bit later. And yeah. And then I watched Into the Spider-Verse for the first time. Oh, the animated one, the first one? Yeah. People have been telling me to watch it forever, and I finally did. And Absolutely. I liked it. It was cool. Yeah. I love the animation style. And the story is really good too. Miles Morales is a really cool character, like as opposed to, Peter Parker being Spider-Man. It's something different. It was done really well. Although Peter Parker in this was fantastic. It's um, Nick from um, New Girl as the voice actor. Oh. Yeah. I'm not a big Spider-Man fan in general. Like in terms of comic book characters, he's not my favorite. But I really liked this one and all the different versions of Spider-Man and the animation style was so sick. Yeah, they're doing the multiverse right where they all come back and – it even expands in the second one. The second one's getting very, very good reviews. Mm-hmm. So I'll put, I'm excited. I'm thinking I'm seeing that this week. Check that one out. Um, what did you watch? What I've been watching is, and I'm 
I'm so surprised I slept on this for so long. It's I watched The Silence of the Lambs for the first time. That one was released in 1991, so I had time to watch it. I just didn't. Uh, that was phenomenal. It was so good. I told you. The acting is it's- incredible. The themes are fantastic. And for something that's, yeah, early 90s, like obviously, you know, cinematography and that is a lot different nowadays to then. But I just think, think it holds holds up so well as, as a story, the writing, the acting. I, I'd watch it again, like this week. It was so good. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins just like he captivated me as soon as he was on screen and like as soon as they meet each other for that first time, I was just like, wow, this is this is acting. Like this is this is what acting is. He's phenomenal. Yeah, so. I told you that's why it's one of my favorites. Yeah. of all time ever. I can see why now. It's incredible. Yeah, I uh, think I gave it a four and a half out of five. Speaking of Anthony Hopkins, if anyone hasn't seen it and is you know really likes his work, go see The Father. I think it was up for like best picture like two years ago or something. And it's got Olivia Coleman in it as well. That is also one of my favorite films from at least modern era. It's so well done. I need to watch it. Yeah. I think like it's, it's available to buy. It's uh, pretty cheap nowadays because it's been out for a couple of years. I don't think it's on any streaming services. I've flicked through to have a watch again, but it's, it's not. Uh, So that's what one of the movies I watched. This week, four of the others was the main topic, so I won't talk about those. So five films this week, and then I've been watching the new Disney Plus series, American Born Chinese. So no, we watched the first episode together just after last week's episode, just to have a bit of a kind of a chill out, chill out after recording, and then I continued on to watch. I'm up to episode six now, so I've watched the first six. I've got two left. It's pretty good. I think the they put a lot of the money into the first step just to kind of capture people in. And it kind of really grounds itself after that. It was like a high school drama, clashing of cultures, as well as dealing with the fact that um, his friend that he meets is one of the Chinese gods and he has to find the fourth scroll uh, to save heaven. And he, the, other, the other character is just like this, just, just wants to be a regular teenager at high school. So it's kind of like a clash of cultures. It's an interesting one because it's got a lot of big name actors and actresses in it. But those particular roles aren't vital to the story. They're just kind of like there. So a lot of the actors out of everything, everywhere, all at once are in it. So Michelle Yeoh, Kihu Kwan, they're both in it, but they're playing really minimal roles. So it's really surprising because they obviously use those a lot in the marketing. And I get why. It makes sense. They're huge. They just want Academy Awards, all of them, just to kind of push the marketing so people watch it. But I'm enjoying it. It's not the best thing I've ever seen but it's enjoyable enough to get through the whole series. So I've got two left. I'll probably watch those tonight just to, just to finish it off. And that's it this week. It's been mostly just dealing with the main topic that we'll get to. Which the audience already knows because they see the title. They see the title, off. so you know what we've been seeing. All right, we'll get into – we had a listener email us this week. Um, so I want to shout out to Wayne who sent us an email just in thoughts in regards to last week's episode on rom-coms and, and their kind of list themselves. So we're going to go through that and just discuss a few questions that were added into the email as well. I'm excited. Um, it's cool to get an email. So, hey, Wayne, I don't know you personally, but I love to email. Yeah, thank you so much. So Wayne had a lot to add and I'm really keen to get into it but um one of the things he said he said shannon how on earth have you not watched the sound of music or pretty woman extraordinary haha both <laughs> fantastic and i agree wayne i've been trying to tell this man to watch those two films <laughs> for ages i gotta i gotta <laughs> so message maybe with off peer someone, pressure i got a message off someone this week saying the exact same thing about pretty woman so i feel like i've got two films i've got to get through this week mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I had the same thing happen the other day when I mentioned to someone that I just recently watched Silence of the Lambs. They were like, oh my God, how have you not seen... This is at the lunch table. And so there's about six people there just like attacked me at once being like, how have you not seen Silence Good. of the Lambs? I'm like, one, I haven't seen every film ever made. Like, yes, I'm into like movies and I'm obviously discussing it on a podcast, but I haven't seen literally everything. Certain things fall by the wayside, um, but I've watched it now and I loved it. So I will watch Pretty Woman and Sound of Music. I've just got to have time if it's not related to an episode and I'll put it on. <laughs> So. I will make it related because I need my DVDs back. Oh, I've watched one. You can have one out of the three back. <laughs> We're getting, getting somewhere finally. We are slowly getting somewhere. So, yes, I will get to those. Um, thank you, Wayne. And you did list your f- five favorite uh, rom-coms as well. So I actually really like this list. So you had Amelie from 2001. You had Roman Holiday from 1953. You had 500 Days of Summer from 2009. Princess Bride from 1987 and The Proposal from 2009. So it's a pretty solid list there, actually. I really appreciate the list. So I've seen most of them. Um, watched Amelie in like film school when I was doing like French cinema. Yep. Such a beautiful film. Um, I watched Roman Holiday over one of my like summer breaks because I was like, I need to watch all of like Aubrey Hepburn films. So yeah. I watched like a whole bunch of them. So sweet. I have not seen 500 Days of Summer. I'm sorry. I okay. haven't. Nor have I seen Princess Bride. Yeah, um, see, that's one. But the proposal, I wanted to squeeze into my list somehow, and I just wasn't able to squeeze it in last week. Yeah, okay. I've seen I've seen the proposal in 500 Days of Summer, so I can happily say that 500 Days of Summer is a very strong contender for a very good rom-com. Oh, it's, what's the girl's name? Zoe Deschanel. Zoe and Deschanel. Gordon-Levitt. Jay- What's yep, it? Joseph. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph. They, yep. they, they, they have really good chemistry on screen. It's a, re- it's a really good um, rom-com that doesn't go the way you think it does. Mm. Yeah. I know a lot about it. I just haven't, haven't sat down with it. Yeah, haven't watched it yet. And he put an honourable mention of The King and I from 1956. Yes, which I saw when I was seven at family's house when I was in England. I haven't seen it since, but I remember loving it. Yeah. I have seen the stage play, though. So. Like the There's musical, and I well. really enjoyed it. Yeah, okay. Well, it's a musical, like so. It's on stage first, and then they right. adapted it. I didn't know much about it. Your grown up, wasn't it? Yeah, and okay. Someone else. All right, worth checking out. You reckon? I think so. I need to rewatch it. So maybe we'll both rewatch it. Yeah, I'd sit down for that. We had a couple of like animated moments that I thought were great. You mentioned Lady and the Tramp. Now I have a Lady and the Tramp photo with my best mate Harry. We got a little bit high. (laughs) We got a little bit high in LA at the pier. Yeah, secondhand high. Um, we were still young. Well, it's always always um, around. (laughs) Yeah, it was legal by that point. So yeah, there's a photo. I will send it to Shannon so that he can show you when. Yes, I will. (laughs) We look ridiculous doing the iconic scene from Lady and the Tramp. And then Wally, I look honestly haven't seen it in a really long time. Didn't love it as a kid, but I think I was too young to appreciate the story. Yeah. I know the scene he's talking about, so the space dancing from Wally. So very much a rom-com as well, just an animated version. And then just to fin- uh, finalize the email, you um, you want to ask our opinions on considering Forrest Gump as a romantic comedy. And I would absolutely agree with you that it is. I definitely think it's a romantic comedy. It's Or is it more like the romantic comedy drama? I don't know. You think, think about it's- it. It's definitely romantic. Like So Forrest doesn't ever stop thinking about um, Jenny the entire time. 
it's it's you know endearing. It's adorable. He does everything he does is basically for Jenny. Um, I would say it's probably more a drama with a lot of elements of a rom com because I yeah. cried more than I laughed in that film. So, yeah, it's got such touching moments as well. Yeah, it's so heavy. And just at the end, where he, you know, everyone should have seen it by now, or at least get the gist of the story, where he's he's got his kid from Jenny, and he's looking after him, he just mows the lawns, waits for his kid to come home from the day. Just the simple life that he wanted. But he's done all these literally amazing things in his life. But what matters to him the most is is his family, his connection to Jenny and his kid. So I thought actually, it was what's very funny touching with you just mentioning. Um, Forrest Gump and then Lady and the Tramp so we were going to get dinner at Bubblegum Shrimp but we were so hungry we ended up going somewhere else and oh, then okay. the Lady and the Tramp thing happened I've been to Bubblegum Shrimp uh, when I was in Hawaii and I got a photo at the front on the park bench where you can put your foot in the little plastic shoe uh, it was fantastic Good food's really good too I really enjoyed it I didn't eat there but I do have a photo I think either of me sitting on the bench or someone else sitting on one of the prop benches at Paramount Studios oh that's cool yeah, mm. I need to go to that when I go overseas to LA because that is planned at some point. Okay, um, thank you so much, Wayne, for writing into us. That was really appreciative, and we're happy to go through it on our episode. So if anyone else wants to email us or you know tweet us, still, we'll go through things in the episode and and break down what your questions are and go through it. So yeah, thank you. We've got trivia this week. We do have trivia this week, and it's going to be a little different because we don't have the cards. Well, you have the cards. I had to write some questions up. I wrote them down too. I didn't bother with no. the cards. I thought we'd both put it in the same amount of effort. Yeah, if, if, if we're going to do it this way, we need to do it the same way. So did you want to go first for your trivia question for me? I can. Yeah, yeah. you ready? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so who directed the 2017 movie Get Out? Oh, Jordan Peele. Yes. You got it. I love it. I've seen all three of his um, current horror films. So Get Out, I Us, have missed- and Nope. I haven't seen Us. You haven't seen Us? That was not pro- yet. probably my favorite. It's about doppelgangers. So it's very eerie. It's worth checking out. Obviously, Us being Alrighty. US, there's a lot of political allusions to the US at the time. So, yeah, very well done. Uh, my first question for you is, which born identity actor was originally tapped to play the role of Jake Sully in Avatar? No, I've got no idea. I can see him, but I don't know his name. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. That's the one. That is it. And remember he did that interview where he's like, it's the probably the biggest mistake he's ever done in his entire career in Hollywood. Because I'm pretty sure like they got a, he was offered like a percentage of the profits or something to be in it. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. It was like some, some like 2% of um, gross profit of the movie. And this movie did $2 billion at the box office plus. So he would have been absolutely kicking himself that he um, didn't agree to be in that film. I mean, how much has Sam Worthington done since, apart from Avatar? Didn't he do Wrath of the Titans? And that's about it? Yeah, which my cousin worked on, actually. Yeah, because it was local, because he's Australian. I think it was Australian production. Nope, it was in the UK, but oh, was go it? on. Okay. Yeah. I know he is. He is Australian. Yeah. Yeah. But he hasn't done too much else. So. He doesn't need to. He's got the money. Yeah, exactly. I've got another one for you. So yeah. it's a true or false. Yep. Um. Speed is the only movie Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves have starred in together. False. The Lake House. You got it. <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> haven't seen The Lake House, but I knew they were in that together. So, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it either. No, it's one of those rom-coms. So one of the forgettable ones, I think. All right, your next question. 
What blockbuster sci-fi film did British actor Kira Knightley appear in prior to her breakout performance in Pirates of the Caribbean? Wait, what's the question? What is it before that? What, what sci-fi film? What blockbuster sci-fi film did Kira Knightley appear in before her breakout performance in Pirates of the Caribbean? Okay, it was Star Wars the something something, one of the early ones, because she was the doppelganger for Natalie Portman. Yes, absolutely. It was the Phantom Menace. She was the doppelganger for Natalie and, Portman. Um, yeah, her parents, they couldn't tell them apart. I watched that, like, I, I've, since knowing that, and I've seen the film a few times, I've looked and they look so similar. It's very well done as a doppelganger, and they're both very young in that. So, yeah, that was her breakout movie, I guess, before the big one. I have one more for you. Yeah. Which movie was Corey Feldman not in? So, Stand By Me, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, The Goonies, or The Lost Boys? It's Fast Times at Ridgemont High because I yeah. watched that recently and I actually looked up a lot of those movies when I watched The Lost Boys just to see who's in what, what's been, what other films they've all been in. And, yeah, I, I know he was in all the others and he's definitely not in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> Everyone else is, though. It's fantastic. Everyone watch Fast Times at Ridgemont High. All right, your last one. Which Indiana Jones film sparked the controversy that led to the creation of the PG-13 rating? Is it the one? I don't know the title of it, but mm. is it the one where all their faces melt off at the beginning? No, you're thinking of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's the end of the first one. Right. It's actually the no. second one. It's Wait, is that the one where they're in the, and I wasn't thinking of that scene because I just don't know them well enough. Is that the one where they're like sort of like demonic and weird underground? Yeah, where yeah. most of the film takes place. I remember watching that. Yeah, it's Temple of Doom. It's the second one, and it was very, right. very dark compared to the first one. First one's like family friendly, except for that melting scene. Yeah, but it's like you know, it's a fantasy action film. The second one's very dark and takes place mostly like there's a lot of rituals and stuff taking place, and it's yeah. all like underground with all these like mine carts and stuff. Yeah, it's a very dark film compared to the. I remember others. they were on when I was a teenager, like every Friday night for a couple of weeks. And I remember like racing home one day to watch them. Yeah. And I remember that one was on and I was like, what is yeah. happening? It's probably my least favorite. It's the one with Kiki Kwan in it as well as um, Short Round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. how they know each other. But, yeah, it's it's my least favorite. And that, well, I don't count the fourth one, but out of the original trilogy. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how the fifth one goes with Dala Destiny as well. But, yeah, I think we, yeah. we were a bit hit and miss that. It was good because it was more like, let's see if you get this rather than just pick a card. I think it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, let's do some news. Do, some do you want news. me to start? I'll get you to start. Yeah, so Ashley Lyle, the co-creator of Yellow Jackets, has announced that we're getting a bonus episode between seasons two and three. Now, that's all she's teased. But, yeah, I saw um, this tweet. They tweeted out to response to someone being like, is there going to be something at the Super Bowl or something, some ad during the football? And she's like, go to bed. There will be an episode between seasons two to three. I don't want you guys to stay up. Um, I'm looking forward to that because obviously season three is a while off as we mm-hmm. spoke about last week in depth, um, but I'm glad to get a special episode in between. Interesting to ha- be what it might be. Like it'll just be a regular yeah, episode, been... just linking the two. Will it show a time jump or what? Oh, I don't know. Be interesting. To Maybe see. it's just what Coach is up to. Yeah, it's just him trying to start a fire for an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could be. It's just the candle of him. Just... <laughs> it's just him and he finally gets it at the end of the episode. Yeah. Uh, also, no, I wasted the matches. Oh, no. All on the house. Also in news, um, Al Pacino is going to be a father again. Uh, His fourth kid at 82 
to his partner who is 29. So this is on the back of news that um, Robert De Niro is going to be a father at uh, 80. So, yeah, there's they're both um, going to be fathers in their late 80s. There's a lot of um, – when I looked this up, there was a lot of Twitter memes uh, about the two of them and just not really caring about their, uh, their kids in the future. Looking after them as toddlers, as like 100-year-old, it's um, – yeah, it's questionable. It's questionable. It just shows how much they just don't care. They just don't care. They've got money. They've got fame. They're at the end of their life. They just doing what they want to do. So. Yeah, he was like, oh, I had to do a paternity test because I didn't think it was possible. I saw that. I read that, yeah, because he didn't think it was possible to get anyone pregnated. I was like, I don't know if you know how it works, but, yes, you can. And clearly it did. So, yeah, that was interesting. Gross. Very gross. So Tom Cruise is reportedly unhappy with Oppenheimer taking away all of the IMAX screens from Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 in July. He is furiously showing his film to exhibitors in an effort to convince them to switch from Oppenheimer and Barbie. They're all coming around roughly the same time and Oppenheimer and Barbie are going to be shown in IMAX 70 mils and that's going to take away from the fact that Dead Reckoning is going to not be seen in the best way format possible. So I mean... I get it to a degree. Yes. Um, I would probably just quietly pitch it and be like, hey, this is the best way to show my film. But, um, I mean, Tom Cruise, you're Tom Cruise. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's a way to go about it and there's a way not. Like, I agree with wanting the film to be seen in IMAX and I think it would be best looked and viewed in that format, especially knowing how much they put into their stunts and put into the visual app, like impact of the film. It would probably be beneficial to be seen in IMAX. But there's no reason why the same would go with Oppenheimer and Barbie. They've put in mm-hmm. just as much effort to make their film, you know, visually, visually striking in the same way. So it just comes down to your release schedule. You're coming out just after those two films, or is it? It's around the same time. I think it's like a week before or a week after. It's a very busy schedule. This is going to happen. It's it's either you delay it and you're waiting for a window when nothing's open, so you'll have the best opportunity to have everyone see your film in the best way possible. But it's also, it's also releasing at that time for a reason. It's the summer break in America. A lot of schools and workplaces take time off during that, just like we do in Christmas time here. So that's the best time to go to cinemas. So it's released at a time for a reason, but you've got to contend with other films and that's what's you've got to put up with. So Tom Cruise, good luck. If you do get, end up getting more IMAX theaters, Props to you because I do believe that the film should be seen probably in IMAX as well, but I shouldn't take away from the other two films. Yeah, it just seems like a bratty way to go about it. Yeah, I think a you little know? bit of um, a little bit has gone to his head when he keeps getting told that he saved Hollywood with um, Top Gun Maverick during the COVID period with how much money that made with people actually going back to cinemas. So I don't know if he thinks he's got more leeway now because of that, but I'm going to assume yes. But we'll see. I would I say. Th- things are back yeah. to normal now. So I think he, yeah, he doesn't have the, the say as he thinks he does. So I'm he, sorry, Tom Cruise, Barbie might save cinema. I think I think so. I, the fact Barbie. that Oppenheimer and Barbie are releasing on the same day is such a huge thing in the industry. Like the marketing for this, these two films going back to back is everywhere. That's all I'm seeing on Twitter at the moment is just those two and like cuts of those two films put together in like things. <laughs> it's done so well. So I'm looking forward to both of them. I actually am looking forward to Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning as well, but no other film should, you know, suffer because you want your film in the best place possible. 
that's showbiz baby, you know. Um, we've got one more bit of news as well. Speaking of Barbie, there's an international, or there was an international shortage of pink paint during production. And I'm like, props to the art department. That's massive if you need that much pink paint yeah. that the world is, there's a shortage of it. Like, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, literally, there was a world shortage of pink paint because of Greta Gerwig's Barbie. So we can expect a very bright film. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it for things like that. That's going to be great. I think the acting's going to be really good too. The cast is stacked. It's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be very, very good. Pink Paint was out of production for – that would have been about this time last year, right, when they were doing it roughly? I think so. Yeah. So but like, we should be back in, back in stock now. Get some white paint. Yeah, I know Make my primary, co- primary colours. We did that at uni. At uni? Yeah, with um, graphic design. Oh, okay. Yeah, not accounting. <laughs> I did that in grade six, but <laughs> I missed well that done. class. That's for the news for this week, and now we are going to get into our main topic, which is we're going to be speaking about all the Shrek films, the Shrek franchise, the ogre, the green ogre, and we're going to dissect all four films, and I'll briefly talk about the Puss in Boots movies. So I've seen both of them. I know, Tish, you haven't seen them yet. So I'll briefly go through them, and that's it. We're going to be, yeah, dissecting, I guess, the franchise as a whole and then also the four films as as it is. So how did you feel watching these four movies back-to-back this week? Because I did the same thing. I started out very strong, very excited. Mm-hmm. I loved the first two. Like, absolutely adore them. Yeah. Um. By the time I got to three and four, I watched three, remembered why I've only seen that one once, <laughs> yeah. and then remembered why I didn't even bother with four. Fourth one, yeah. 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 I felt the same because I'd seen one and two before uh, in my youth, and then I didn't – I think I just by the time I was older, I didn't watch – I was watching less animated films. I was So three and four was about when I was 17 and 20. So I just didn't go to the cinemas and see them. So I missed them. So I watched those this week. And I guess we'll go through one at a time and, yeah, that's it. So the first one is starring Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz and John Lithgow in, in the main main cast there. This Shrek is loosely based on a children's picture book, which I looked up, by a gentleman of William Steig. So he was originally like a, um, like a cartoonist for, I think it's the Chicago Times, and he was just sick of doing like um, little cartoons and that, so he decided to make children's books. So when he wrote Shrek, he was like, I think he was in his like early 80s. Yeah, because it was like a, a pretty sure it came out in 1990 or 1991. He made that and then the film was made in 2001. So he managed to get to see the first film made because he, he, he passed away in 2003. So he managed to see the first film. It is loosely, very loosely based um, on the picture book because in the picture book, Shrek can breathe fire. And uh, it's a little bit, it. it's, he's a little bit more of a bad anti-hero character. Like he, it's kind of got the things of like, he gets kicked out and he gets told to, he gets taken to a tower where he has to buy a donkey. So there is a donkey in it. Um, gets taken to a tower where he has to defeat an enemy and then marry an even uglier princess is what it says. So it's got the kind of underlyings of what the Shrek movie is, but yeah, it's kind of like adapted into, into that. So yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. What were your thoughts on the first one? I love the first one. Like, it's one of few childhood movies that I would watch on repeat. Yeah. Like, I don't remember the first time I watched it because I was, like, that young. So, mm-hmm. I was four when it came out. We had, like, a, I think a 
you have got to record VHSs off the TV and put them on VHS. Yeah. So I think I had a dodgy one before I had a good one. Or maybe I always had a good one. I'm not really sure. But I was, yeah, so little that me and my sister used to be scared of the dragons, but like not the whole time, just once the chasing starts. Yeah, yeah. So whichever one of us chickened out first and like closed their eyes, you'd be like, tell me when to look. So then the <laughs> other one had to like be brave enough to watch it. It is kind of menacing. Like I remember watching it this week and in the part where the dragon appears and it's like got that smoke kind of around her when she kind of like rises up. It's kind of like for kids that would be kind of like scary. So I can definitely see that. I Um, don't think I was scared of her then. It was just when she's chasing them out of the tower. And and it's like really intense. Thing with the chain. Yeah. That bit was a little bit much for four-year-old me. Uh, What did you make of... um, Mike Myers as the ogre Shrek because this was actually originally supposed to be Chris Farley in the title role of uh, Shrek. He actually recorded most of the lines for the film because it was this started back in production in 1995, so six years earlier. So he recorded most of these lines back in like early 1996, 1997. So it was planned to have him as the character, but then he sadly passed away in 1997. So they uh, gave it to Mike Myers, who took over the role, and gave it his little Scottish accent. So what do you make of him doing that? Could you see anyone else playing Shrek, knowing what it is now? I don't think so, but on top of it, like I mentioned just before, like I was so young when I first saw it, yeah. so I never thought of like who's playing these characters. Yeah, yeah. They were just, they just them, and that was... They are who they are. It's, it's like the character. I think, yeah, like with um, Eddie Murphy as donkey like Mm. i knew eddie murphy as donkey like that was the voice yeah Yeah, not did you feel eddie murphy did you feel that um after the second one did you feel that they kind of toned down donkey in three and four i yeah i reckon they did i don't know why but i in three and four there's just like that less buddy cop relationship with donkey with shrek and donkey and he's just i guess less i'm not gonna say annoying because I didn't find it annoying, but I, that's how it's, you know what I mean? That's where it's going is, is annoying of a character. Um, yeah, I feel like they toned that down. And obviously there was the inclusion of Puss in Boots in the second one as well. So they kind of had to have a, like a weirder dynamic of the three of them. So, yeah, I feel like they toned it down after because I loved him in the first one. He's perfect in the first one as the talking donkey that just won't show yeah. up. Where it's, um, can I whistle? No. Can I hump? Fine. Fine. Uh, <laughs> That scene where he gets introduced, where the witch tries to sell him, and it's like, it's yeah. a talking donkey. Oh, it's a talk. I love to talk. <laughs> and then he starts to fly, and he's like, yeah. you may have seen a house fly. You may have even seen a super fly, but I bet you haven't seen a donkey fly. And then he just falls. <laughs> it's so good. And then Steve like, in the morning, I make waffles. Yeah, I'm making waffles. So, yeah, it was the perfect amount of, like, endearing, annoying character in the first one. I loved it. And mm-hmm. then he obviously just follows Shrek around wherever he goes because obviously Shrek has to go try and get rid of those fairy tale creatures that are in his swamp. It's my swamp. <laughs> um, and he goes and sees Lord Farquaad. Lord Farquaad. Which, which is what I want to talk to you about is the amount of adult humour chucked in there is perfect. Like, I think it's fantastic. So, like, adults can enjoy it. Kids can enjoy it for, like, you know, just seeing what's happening on screen. I think it's the perfect level of balance of both because even, like, Lord Farquaad's name is it, – it's done for a reason. <laughs> the quicker you say it, you'll work out why. Just that, yeah, the, the, the adult humour that's chucked in there the whole time. 
this is one that like because I I watched it as a kid, so I didn't pick up on like any of it. And then as I'd get older, I'd watch it, and each time I'd watch it, I'd pick up a little bit more. And I thought I'd picked up all of it. Yeah. And then I was watching it this week, and I messaged you, and I was like, "Oh my god, Donkey has a sex dream." Yes, he does. <laughs> when he yep, he's just napping there. When uh, Fiona and that wake him up, it's perfect. Just a little sex yeah, dream there. Love so it. much in it. I also love the references to pop culture throughout mm-hmm. pretty much the first two. I think the third one tries it but does it wrong, and then there's none in the fourth one. But the first one where it's um, like references to the Matrix when Fiona's versing the Merry Men and it kind of like she jumps up and does that pause where it yeah. kind of like circles around her. The references to the WWE fighting when he goes and sees Lord Farquaad. Get the chair. Get the chair. Yeah, just <laughs> little little comments like that. Do you remember the adult humor that's chucked in when they first get to um, was it Dunkor or something is where they live? Oh, Duloc. Duloc, Duloc, and they press that little puppet. Show. Yeah, I, I know half of that song. I've been singing it all week. It's like, Shine your shoes, do, do, wipe, wipe your wipe face. Your face. <laughs> face. Yeah. I was like, that's Me cool. all week. <laughs> yeah, that's really well done. And they get the photo that prints oh. out afterwards. Of It's exactly how it cuts back to them. It's very well done. Do that again. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but just as a story, like it's got, it's like obviously got a lot of, pop culture references, funny parts, slapstick parts, but at the heart of it, like it's a really heartfelt, warm story of just, you know, someone who feels like they're unloved as an ogre just finds love. And I just think it's really well done. So the first one. It's so sweet. It's so sweet. And I'll even say even the second one is as well. So I think we should move on to the, the second one. Funnily enough, I'll speak about the, how much it made first. So the first one made 491 million. Worldwide, I'm kind of the fourth highest grossing movie of 2001. So they didn't <laughs> expect it to do that well, well, but it did. I was reading up on it today, and I it was the first animated. It was the first animated sequel to ever be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, and also Cannes was it the Paldra Dior, whatever it's called, award? Yeah, it went to Cannes. Probably the first and second really? went to Cannes. Film festival, which is huge for it was like the I think the second ever animated film to go to that, so which is crazy. While I was looking this up, this first film, I wanted to see like how it got made and like who got involved in stuff. So originally, Steven Spielberg bought the rights of the book back in nineteen ninety one, and he was going to take it, essentially develop it, and I think he worked out he couldn't for what he wanted, so he ended up taking it to someone who event DreamWorks, who was just starting out at that time. And he sold his rights to DreamWorks for five hundred thousand dollars. This film made four hundred ninety-one million. So that's, insane. that's an incredibly good investment investment by DreamWorks, especially because this is the first of you know many films. It's made more in the in the sequels. Yeah, it's it's really kind of developed into its own franchise after that. So yeah, we'll move on to the second one now. How'd you feel about the second one? I love the second one. I remember watching it when it came out in cinemas when I was a kid. And then I watched it a lot as a kid. I think my dad's friends, I don't know, someone gave us like one of those dodgy, I went to Bali and here's these DVDs that are legitimate but definitely not legit copies. Yeah, yeah. But I remember watching it a ton. And I think in terms of a sequel, it was perfect. Yeah, I've I've got to agree with you. I think it was, I think it's one of those films you can say the sequel's better than the original. There's not many of those. I think like Terminator 2. Shrek 2, and I can't even mm-hmm. think of anything else because, honestly, there's not that many. 
I watched it again this week and I'd forgotten and I don't think I'd noticed how much of it's like taking the piss out of Hollywood. Yeah. Like Far Far Away is Hollywood. Is Hollywood. And just, the, there was a lot. Beverly Hills when they ride up and the, so this this movie was um, when they wrote it. It was the story was inspired by the movie Guess Who's Coming to Dinner from 1967. Oh, I've seen that. Have yeah. you? I haven't actually, but when I read it, I was like, oh, that makes sense because it's very much like that when Shrek and Fiona meet her parents for the first time. You can kind of see that because I know what the gist of uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is about. I didn't pick up on that, but now that you've said it, I understand. Yeah, the reference. That's genius. Yeah, it's, it's very well that's done. That's so good. I looked into also the actors, how much they were getting paid for the first one compared to this one. So in the first film, all the three main actors, Eddie Murphy, Mike, um, Mike Myers and Cameron Diaz, got about $350,000 for the first film for voice acting. They all negotiated to get a significant bump in salary to $10 million each for the second one. Yeah, Holy so they think hell. they knew they're onto a successful franchise, so they agreed to get ten million. This film made nine hundred thirty-five million dollars at the box office, so more than doubled the first one's earnings. So that's incredible. That's just that's insane. It's yeah, it's insane. It was so well done. I the the fairy godmother character standout <sighs> performance. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And that is voiced I'm- by she's out of absolutely fabulous. What's her name? Yeah. I can't remember. Jennifer Saunders. Phenomenal job. I just think, yeah, the inclusion of the new characters was really, it was just enough for that film. You know what I mean? Like it was really good. John Cleese, um, Julie Andrews. So really strong cast besides the three main um, actors as well. Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots. That introduction. So I forgot about how they introduced that character. It was so well done. Like obviously you've got John Cleese's king character come up and he's like trying to get rid of uh, Shrek from the family so he pays this like assassin character in this <laughs> dodgy so dodgy bar and you, just, <laughs> you don't see puss in boots at all you just see the boots but he's like veiled in blackness you don't see the rest of the character and he puts the money on the table and he's just like yes i'll get your character i'll i'll get your guy and then it's revealed to be just a cat it's so good, <laughs> so good. loved it i looked and up then, um sorry no but when i was like rewatching this week and there's that scene where um, the fairy godmother's like, hey, listen, um, my Prince Charming is going to be your daughter's husband. Yeah. And she's talking about when he goes to, to find Princess Fiona and she's like, and then he finds some gender-confused wolf. Oh, and yes. like, I died. This gender-confused <laughs> wolf. Because they're the same. Whenever they, they find the, whenever they find the wolf, he just goes, what? Like every time, like it's the same exact way he says it every time. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, he goes to the tower and it's just this gender-confused wolf waiting there for him. <laughs> it was perfectly done. Um, how's the part? I really enjoyed the part where they changed the characters with the magic potion. I thought that was done really well. So, like, when um, Donkey's changed into a steed, finally. and um, Now he's sexy. And then Shrek turns into a human for, for, for the day because he thinks that um, to fit in with the family he needs to change. Because obviously they had an argument at the start. Be like, how much have I changed for you, Shrek? Can you at least put in effort with the family? So he does that and goes back and to see them. But he realizes he doesn't need to change. He's got everything he wants. It was really well Wait. done. So good. And when they I, um, they go to Jury Lane, they create the yeah. giant gingerbread man, Mongo. That scene was really well done with the music. I thought where like um they're trying to get back there I need quickly. To hear. Yeah, that's so well done. There's a music sequence in the third one which I really enjoyed, similar to that. Only part I liked about the third film 
is when all the princesses are trying to get their way back into Far, Far Away because they've obviously been kicked out because things happen. And I think it's, is it Snow White? And she just summons all the birds into yeah. that, uh, is, I think it's the Immigrant Song. It's so well done. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's voiced by Amy Poehler. Is that who it is? and Maya Rudolph are in that and I had no idea until I looked it up. Yeah, right. Okay, I didn't know who voiced most of the princesses in that film. Was it Sleeping Beauty yeah. as well? Was that one of them? Yeah. It might have been one of them was Sleeping Beauty yeah. and the other one was Cinderella, maybe. Yeah. I think that was but, honestly one of the only good parts was the princesses in that film. When the queen just headbutts the wall <laughs> to <yeah>. get out. <laughs> I love it. And then it goes into, yeah, there's like, the sound of music reference and then one to Mary Poppins. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, they knew who they had in the film, so they put references in there. I think the third one, they saw the success of the second one with adding certain pop cultural references in to like real life ones. But I think they just really overdid it with the third one where the film was just based around the references rather than a story that had references in them. I, I just don't know. It was a different writing team to the first two as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that had a lot to do with it. It was actually the writer of who framed Roger Rabbit was the third one, which is surprising. Yeah, because I looked up who wrote different ones in that. So Andrew Adamson, who directed, the, I think, the second one, he was involved with the first one, but then I think he pulled back in the third one, wasn't involved in much. I think he was a producer, but then he was working on something else. So he was just checking in every couple of months of how it was going. I think they needed him to helm it again because he obviously understood the first two and what made it special but whoever took over in the third one just saw it as a cash grab. And I think that's the problem. Like the first one, obviously it's such a strong story. It was really simple, but it was super strong. And then the second one, it was based on an original film, I guess you're coming to dinner as yeah. an idea. So they ha- they knew the through line. They knew what story yeah. they were trying to tell. They just then made it. It put it into the world of trash. Yeah, exactly. Sort of similar to say, for example, like A Bug's Life is like The Seven Samurai yeah. or Ten Things I Hate About You is Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Like yep. they had something to keep, to make sure they hit all the right beats. Yeah, exactly. They, and yeah, the then pacing, they added. They could have worked with the pacing because yeah. they knew what they had to do. But the third one was like its own story. But it's like, yeah, they fell flat. Yeah, it was like, oh, what's next? Oh, Shrek has kids and yeah. he's going to go get. Yeah, like Artie, who's some brother. I don't know. I don't uh, know I how think it's related. Cousin, I think it's cousin. Cousin. That, that's right. It's Fiona's yeah. cousin, and that's played by yeah. Justin Timberlake. Did you see the reference to Justin Timberlake in the second one, mm-hmm. where it's on the roof of her bed when they're staying yeah. in her old room? It just said Sir Justin. I was like, oh, genius! Yeah. And then they got oh, him for the, the third second one. one. So good. Yeah, right amount of references. Uh, it was perfect. Even just down to all of the minor characters, like when they go to the the fairy godmother's, you know, work factory yeah, and yeah. there's that little guy that's just sitting there. It's like, you know, we're from we the don't union. Even have dental. He's like, yeah, we don't even have <laughs> we dental. We don't even have dental. Oh, they don't even have dental. We're just going to see our way around. <laughs> it's like, so good. They just, oh, what they were doing and yeah. they did it well. They, and the third one, they were just like, what else could we do? do with Shrek. It became a lot of potty humor as well. I think like it, nearly every five minutes it was like a fart joke or a poop joke, you know, and it was just like, you know what made the first two special was the balance of adult humor and child humor, basically. And yeah. they just hit, they just tried references with child humor. Didn't work. Um, there was a lot of tongue in cheek in the first two. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, let's market this to children because I think they knew adults were sick of it by that point. Yeah. 
I looked this up. So everything in Shrek's world is basically based on a fairy tale, right? Like nearly everything. Mm-hmm. Puss in Boots is also a fairy tale. Like it's, it's, it's actually a story from like the 1600s. I feel like I knew this and then forgot about it as I grew up. It's like an actual, like a Puss in Boots character. Is, it's like a legit thing. Uh, it's an I love anthropomorphic cat who uses trickery and deceit to gain power, wealth, and the hand in marriage of a princess for his penniless and lowborn master. That's the original fable. And there's a little That's picture so on Wikipedia of Puss in Boots, and it is the cutest thing you'll ever see. So look it up when you get a chance. <laughs> I will. Um, before we get too much into Puss in Boots, I just want to mention that earlier this week you found some letterbox reviews mm-hmm. of the third and the fourth one. I saw you add. I'm going to read the third one out because it's sort of this. This guy will summed up sort of how I felt about them. He said, "I don't recommend watching all of these back to back, even if you're trying to generate content for your dumb podcast, like I was. It's a little exhausting to see characters like Pinocchio and the Gingerbread Man pop up over and over to redo the same jokes. I pass the time doing some other stuff. Listen, <laughs> we did it for our stupid podcast, knowing you said don't do it for your stupid podcast, and you know what? You were right. We did it. We did that." And he's, he's, he's absolutely correct. And because then he um, he wrote on the fourth one as well. <laughs> so on the fourth one he goes, what if Shrek had never been born? Buddy, I wish he had never been born after watching all four of these effing things in my dumb podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so Will had a bad time with watching these, I think. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. So did I, Will. You were right. I didn't heed your warning. We do anyway. Do we want to – I think we're going to have to dissect the third one a little bit more, I think. Before we move on to to the fourth one and Puss Probably. Boots. Yeah, I just think the additional characters, like Artie wasn't really like inspiring enough to kind of like follow or give Shrek like a reason to go and find. Like obviously the idea was he found out he was going to be a dad. Like Fiona tells him as he's leaving that, you know, she's pregnant. And so she they go and find Artie, who's this teenage kid at a fairy tale high school. Anyway, he takes Artie like away from there and the whole journey back is basically him showing how he could be a good father. Like that's the through line of the story is like, oh, I'm not going to be a good dad, but then he looks after Artie this whole time. I don't know if he did or not. It wasn't that great of a story. Then they find Merlin like halfway through who was oh, yeah. the most annoying character, I think, in addition to like the Shrek franchise. And that's played by Eric Idle from Monty Python. And I don't know if you read when you were looking this up, but apparently at the premiere when Eric Idle went and saw this, he actually stormed out and threatened to sue the movie because of the addition of the first scene where their Prince Charming is doing the stand-up play and they're using the coconuts to yeah. make the hoof noises. So he wants to sue them because of obviously that's out of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The producers came out and said, look, we added that in there as more of like a honourable mention because of Monty Python rather than basically taking the joke. Uh, apparently Eric Idle, you know, calmed himself down and came back in halfway through the premiere and sat back down. But he was furious when he saw that on screen. And I reckon he should have been furious when he saw what he kind of portrayed in Merlin because <laughs> that was an absolutely terrible character. He picked the wrong thing to be mad about, I think. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, his character was the most annoying thing. He pops up like twice. Like he see, like they meet him like as they go along and he like gets them – from point A to point B quicker because he's got magic. And then he also moves Donkey and Puss in Boots' character. Like they swap them around the voices, oh, the whole character swap thing, which didn't work right. in my opinion at all. 
Did you remember that? It was yeah. just like, the, what was yeah. the point of that? It didn't make any humor out of that moment. Like it was just, they were just swapped characters. That's it. I'm not going to lie. The third and the fourth one really didn't meet. Like I watched them, yeah. but there was no lasting impact. See, I have a different opinion of you of the fourth one. I actually far- thoroughly enjoyed it. I reckon if you cut out the third movie and then pop the fourth one in there, it's a pretty good trilogy. In my, I liked it. So I know it's a film okay, that yeah. actually didn't matter. Like, so the fourth one is basically he does a deal with Rumble Stiltskin. He gets sent to an alternative reality where he didn't exist, and these characters, what these characters would be like if they never had Shrek in their life. He's basically got to reconnect with all the original characters again and kind of prove to Fiona that he is his true love. Because in the real world, he's kind of like sick of being this domesticated ogre and he's kind of just wishes he was back at being like this, you know, having his original life in the first one, like just being, you know, having his mud bars, just living by himself, just being this ogre that's feared. And the whole idea is obviously once he comes out of that reality, the alternate reality, he actually has everything he ever wanted with his family. So I don't know. I just really like the journey of reconnecting with the characters. It was like a first movie again, but just in a different way. And I really like the version of Fiona they had in this. Like she was really like, you know, like warrior princess character, really empowered, like was the leader of all the ogres. So they did her justice, whereas they did not do her justice in the third one. She was just this damsel in distress character. And it was just like, she didn't do anything in the third one. Whereas I don't know. I just like, it was a little bit darker. The the fourth one as well. There's no pop cultural references at all. It's all about the story. And, yeah, it kind of, like, it character built again. It found a little bit of heart, whereas the third one was just references after references after references. So, I don't know. For me, yeah. for me personally, I like the fourth one. Can understand why not, because you got sick of the third one. It was just more of this, you know, the fourth <laughs> one. Oh, it's a fourth film. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I think if I hadn't watched it in maybe quick succession, yeah. I'd appreciate it more. But I think I was tired after the third <laughs> one. Rumpelstiltskin's annoying. yeah. I know he's supposed to be like this sniveling little like creepy dude, but playing the villain in that way, I thought it was he made sense. Yeah. Like I was like, yeah, you're supposed to not like this character. He's done a dodgy, so he played it well. But you're not supposed to like the character in any way, shape, or form. No, but I yeah, I see what you're saying now. That I, now that I think about it again, it's not as bad. It's not as bad as the third one. It had more heart than the third one. Yeah, not, it's nowhere near sure. as good as one or two. Definitely not. But it was a vast improvement over the third one, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think because the first two were so big in my childhood, yeah. I have this like... It's nostalgia. Nostalgic. Kick. Yeah. Yeah. And then watching the other ones, I was just like, ah, yeah. Yeah, it was weird seeing the characters in a story I hadn't seen before. And because it was because of that nostalgia kick, you know? Like, you know, no, this is the story. This is Shrek. I've seen him. Like, I've seen the first two. Yeah. Seeing him do other things, you know, it was a bit weird. But once I got over that, I really... I kind of did enjoy the fourth one. Still wouldn't have enjoyed the third one. Wouldn't watch that one again. I just think, yeah, the first two are a lot of fun. Even just all, like, the Farquaad stuff in the first one is just hilarious and a little gingy when he's <laughs> like, do you know the Muffin Man? Like, the Muffin Man. The Muffin Man? The Muffin Man! She's married to the Muffin Man. <laughs> Lives on Jury Lane. I'm so glad they picked that up in the second one where they actually go to Jury Lane. So good. Drop buttons. Ah, oh. uh, the gumdrop buttons. We'll move into, unless you've got anything else to say about the fourth one. I don't think so. I, I don't think I'm that excited for the fifth one, if I'm honest. Uh, see, this is where we'll get into Puss in Boots. Because okay. I'll, Tell me why I need to watch 
Puss in Boots. Yeah, Convince okay. me. So I've seen, I watched both of these kind of in succession a while ago, a few months ago, I think when the second one was at cinema. So I watched Puss in Boots 1, which came out in 2011. So this is by the same director, unfortunately, as the third one. So it wasn't amazing. It wasn't that bad. It was just a story that existed. So it kind of was more high. It was, it was an origin story for Puss in Boots, that first one. Where he came from, how he grew to be able to speak, how he became the Puss in Boots character as the assassin, um, it introduces one of his old friends from an orphanage because that's where he grew up as thinking he's being his friend, but actually in turn he was you know, double-crossing him. He meets another cat character. They become kind of like lovers kind of towards the end. It's Selma The black Hayek. cat? Selma Hayek, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a whole thing where he's got to kind of like prove that his friend was the bad person, not him, to the town. It's got a lot of references to fairy tales like Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack and Jill, that kind of thing. It's it's not terrible. It's not great either at the end of the day. But then here comes Puss in Boots' The Last Wish, which came out last year in 2022. That is just one of the most best animated movies I've ever seen. It's so good. The, animating, the animation style, the story, the heart, it's all from like Shrek 1 and 2. It's... Based around the story where Puss in Boots is, it starts off with him being like this, you know, I'm amazing, how he usually is in most of the films, I'm amazing, I'm this great assassin. And he works out that he's actually down to his last life out of, you know, Cats Have Nine Lives. So, yeah, he's actually, because he dies at the start of the movie, taking down this huge golem kind of character and saves the town. Yeah. And this like town bell falls on him and he goes to the doctor when he's like, oh, I'm fine. I've got plenty of lives left. And then the doctor goes, no, let's count them through. And he goes through how he's died eight times. He goes, oh, I'm down to my last life. Oh, no, i got to watch this movie. It's really good. And then the villain character, the big bad wolf comes into it. And that's one of the most iconic villains I've seen in an animated series. Ever. It's portrayed so well on screen. And every time he sees this villain wolf character who tries to kill him, the hairs like prick up on his on his arms and stuff where he's got the fear finally has the fear of dying. And there's another there's a story where he's gotta go find yeah, he wants his lives back, so he goes to go find this fallen star. So that's his drive to go to the fallen star. There's a few other characters who want the star for other reasons, so he's gotta get there first. There is a scene about halfway through the film where they're all battling, he almost dies a few times, all these different characters. And he manages to run away. And it's the most accurate portrayal of a panic attack I've ever seen on film. So, yeah, he has a panic attack because he almost thinks he's going to die, but there's this dog character Aww. who's his best friend, kind of like Donkey is the Shrek, this ugly dog character who's like a chihuahua. I've mix. seen him, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he just, the dog just rests his head on his belly and just calms him down. It's beautiful. And just the ending's really cute too. Like he gets back together with that black ca- um, cat character uh, towards the end and um, right after the credits... It sees them, all three of those, on a boat heading towards far, far away. Okay, I need to watch this yeah, now. It's I need last, to go find this. It's really, really good. I, I have it, so if you want to watch it over here sometime, please do. It's one of my favourites. The animation's done differently to Shrek 1 and 4 and Puss in Boots 1. It's mm-hmm. still kind of 3D, but it's it's more got more pastel colours scheme, if that makes sense. And the action sequences are more like a comic book. Yeah. Quick cuts and then like, you know, like the action's really quick when it's like one, two, they've moved like that quickly to the next like kind of like jump sequence. 
So the action's really good as well. It's just worth checking out. So it's a really good, strong installment in the Shrek kind of franchise that, in my opinion, if they do it like that, Shrek 5 is going to be very good. That's why I love The Last Wish. Okay, I'm going to go find... I'm going to watch the first one, and then I'll watch The Last Wish I at think, some point. I think the so, first one's on Netflix. Puss in Boots is on Netflix. Yeah. So you check that out so you get the connection between Selma Hayek's character because that's obviously in Last Wish as well, but it's the only real connection yeah. you kind of need. Um, and then, yeah, please watch The Last Wish. It's really good. My friend told me she cried when she watched it in cinemas. Honestly, it's, yeah, it's a tearjerker as well. Um, I think that kind of wraps up our episode I of think so. Shrek. Um, if you have any more comments, concerns, thoughts or ideas about Shrek, please email us in um, at bingelist at, and boxofficehits at gmail.com um, or just send us a tweet at bingelist on Twitter. So, well, we have an Instagram as well. We at do have an Instagram finally. Yes, correct. We've set that up. So please follow us. I usually link Instagram off my account if you're not sure. Get in touch in any way. We're happy to answer um, queries in the episode. So please get involved. And thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, and we'll try not to have COVID and we'll be back next week. Yes, thank you for putting up with us <laughs> recording this way. It's a one-off only because we can't be in the same room together, but we'll be back to normal scheduling next week. And as always, thank you so much and we'll see you next week. See you next week, guys. Thanks. Bye.